This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Away we go. Welcome to Sports Charlotte, the podcast about sports in Charlotte. My name is Herb White. I am Editor-in-Chief at the Charlotte Post. And for the first time ever, uh, Cameron Williams, who is our new colleague, uh, joining us on the pod. And welcome aboard. Welcome to the Post. Welcome to the podcast. Let's dive on in, okay? All right, let's do it. Okay. Well, first up on the menu, in a town that has suffered its fair share of losing, uh, the Carolina Panthers have been extra special. And so, talking about their trials and tribulations, again, and why this team can't seem to get out of its own way. Uh, They're 1-11, heading down to New Orleans Sunday uh, for a game that they should at least be able to compete in, if not win, because they haven't been able to beat very many people <laughs> this season. Uh, so, what are your <laughs> over- yeah? What are your overall impressions, though, in terms of where this franchise is and uh, new interim head coach? A couple of assistants were let go. The offense is terrible. The defense was injured, but now it's getting better. Uh, health-wise, and just the overall state of things. Yeah, um, I think it's a, it's a unique situation where there's there's a lot of pieces that are not clicking, and it, it's just a big mess. Um, you know, a lot of people like to always point to the quarterback. Well, I don't think all this is Bryce Young's fault. I don't think all of this is the offensive line's fault, although that offensive line could stand to get a lot better. Um I think a lot of it falls on Dave Tepper and just how he always likes to have his hands so far into the operational side of things that it he's not letting the people that he's paying a lot of money to do their job actually do their jobs. And I think that that creates just a dynamic of uh, him being a, a coach from from the suites up in the you know the three hundred levels at Bank of America. So I, I think it's just a a situation where he if he could step back and let the people that he's actually hired do their jobs, I think we'd see a lot of improvement in the Panthers, not not necessarily winning nine, ten games a year, but not being one in eleven. Well, that's one way of looking at it. Or, you know, you could just say that this team has really not lived up to expectations from the day he bought the franchise. <laughs> and you know well, that's true too. and if you looked at the last six years since he's on the team, uh, they have the second worst record in the NFL over that span. And this year, you know, and I point out to anybody who will listen, during the previous offseason, the, the brain trusts, the powers that be in that franchise sold its fan base on all we need is a competent quarterback to get to the playoffs. They sold us all on that. All we need is a decent quarterback. We have the defense. We have the offensive line. We'll have the skill position folks to make it happen. All we need is a quarterback. Guess what? 12 games later, you don't have any of that. So, to me, either these folks didn't know what they were talking about when it comes to football and this roster and how broken it is, or they just flat out total fabrication. 
So, which one is? Because it's got to be one or the other. Because they told people who follow this franchise, all we need is a quarterback. That's why we swung the trade to get up to number one and take Bryce Young. Now watch us take off. We're going to compete in the NFC South. Well, they're dead last. So, to well, me, Herb, I could have told you that, that this <laughs> offense was going to struggle until they got some key pieces on that offensive line figured out. I, I don't think they've had a great offensive line for a long time. Um, probably going back to you know the 2015, 16 years with Cam, and you know when they were doing really, really well. Well, he covered up a lot of he covered up a lot of holes on that line too. But I understand your point. Well, that's that's true. That's true. But I just I think when I mean you you watch Brian, and this was against Tennessee of of all teams. I mean he'd step back and he would drop. No sooner drop back, he'd have to scramble because. The center was getting plowed over, or the right guard was getting plowed over, and it's just it's not easy for any quarterback. And I don't think there are many quarterbacks, maybe one or two, that could even look decent behind that line. Yeah, and that's true. And, again, it goes back to the original premise. The fan base was sold one thing and got something totally different. And the result of that is people are voting with their wallets now. They're just staying home. Now, they may still be season ticket holders and stuff like that. But if you are a Carolina Panthers fan for more than one season and you've seen this movie before, you know, do you really want to see a sequel? Yeah, that's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> but you know, even at that, you, know, you have to sell hope. And right now, this team is hopeless. I mean, there is no getting around that. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. They'll be working on a third head coach in three years. And that process is no guarantee in terms of getting it right. Uh, So, to me, it's almost like what this team needs more than anything right now, you know, a head coach can only do but so much. You need some stability in this program somewhere. And that starts at the top. I'm not saying that that the owner isn't a stable person. I'm saying that the owner needs to be willing to say, you know what, maybe I should just let the football people do the football stuff and hold them accountable. And give them time to put seeds in the ground so that we can get a fair reading of that individual's abilities to mold a team. That GM that you're sitting over there with, he needs to get the proper mandate. Build me a winner or else. And right now, you don't have any of that. There is no clear-cut leadership, I think, in this program. You know, It starts with the on-field product, but it also is the offshoot of what's going on in the corporate offices. And if the owner is, you know, trigger happy in terms of terminating people within a year or whatever amount of time that they've been hired, you know, of course you can't get anything done. And, of course, he's also, I think, made a huge mistake by passing on Steve Wilkes last year when he could have had him, you know, after going 6-6, six and six, no coach before him, Matt Rule, or no coach after him, Frank Wright, has been able to even match that approach 
uh, in terms of the last couple of seasons. So I think he made a massive mistake there thinking that, well, it's the NFL, it's 2023, it's all about offense. I need an offensive coach. No, I think winning football teams are built in terms of that camaraderie and people who are willing to go to bat for each other. And you need leadership in, under that headset when it comes to leading a team. And I think he missed a golden opportunity to hire that kind of person who was already in-house. And maybe the answer is in-house now. Who knows at this point? But will that individual, A, want this job considering what's gone on the last few years? And B, how much will it cost to get somebody who's willing to put up with what we have seen the last six years? Yeah. Um, I think you hit on all the good points there because, I mean, that, that that's a big question. Who would want a job that there's been no proven stability. I guess that's the the overarching question. Yeah, and so uh, we certainly aren't likely to see any answers over the last five weeks of the season. Everybody's probably playing out the string now. You don't want to get hurt, and you know maybe there's a couple of golf carts that are already warming up at Bank of America Stadium, just ready to check out and start the offseason, and maybe it will get better before it continues to stay the way it is. Um, moving on to another subject, uh, also football-related, this time on the collegiate side, uh, Johnson C. Smith, uh, which is 73. They're actually playing in a bowl game uh, next Wednesday in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um the Florida Beach Bowl against Fort Valley State. Uh, It's been a quick turnaround for that program. Uh, Last year they were two and seven with the first year coach in Maurice Flowers. And you gotta give the Smith folks credit. They got their hire right. And second season, seven and three, finished second in the CIAA Southern Division and were rewarded with the bowl game. And, you know, if they can beat Fort Valley State on Wednesday uh, down in Florida, it'll be their eighth win of the season, which would match a school record. It's been done four other times, all by one coach, the legendary Eddie McGirt. And uh, Maurice Flowers, I think, is, you know, he understands history, and he knows what's writing in, on on this game as an alum. But, uh, you know, I, I just think there's a feel-good story that not a whole lot of people in Charlotte are talking about outside of the Babies Ford Road community. Yeah. Um, I, I like what uh, I've seen from the Golden Bulls. I watched a little bit of their, um, you know, highlights and stuff. Um, a lot of local kids on the team. Um, and just looking at their wins, um, so a lot of their wins have been pretty dominant and, and their narrow losses. I mean, you're looking at 14 to 7, 21 to 10 was their largest loss, and then 14 to 9. So, I mean, this is a team that's been competitive even in their losses. Um, none of their uh, losses have been lopsided, which is always a good indicator of, you know, a solid team. But then you look at some of their wins, 30 to 13. Um, they have had some close ones like 27 to 20 and 21 to 20, but overall their their wins have been a larger margin of victory than a margin of defeat in their few losses. Yeah, and the other thing that's pretty impressive is that this is a very young group. Uh, before the season started, only four players on that 110-player roster uh, was on a winning college football team. 
but last year Flowers brought in 55 freshmen, uh, 15, 16 transfers. That's a lot of young people. And he's gotten them to buy in fairly quickly. And, you know, they're doing stuff that even veteran teams are not necessarily doing. And he's, you know, and he managed to get seven wins out of a group that for the second year in a row was playing its third string quarterback. So that gives you an idea of A, the coaching, and B, the ability of the players, and then the mesh between all that because they're not, you know, they're playing to their strengths, whatever that might be, even if there's a third string quarterback calling the signals. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just looking at their most recent win against uh, Livingstone. Uh, Jameer Cherry, he had an outstanding game passing the ball. Um, if you look at their, you know, passing stats across the board, they've, they've used some different guys at quarterback, but, um, I just think that, you know, this team is very versatile in what they can do, not only, um, in the pass game, but in the run game as well. So, um, I think it's going to be an interesting game on Wednesday, uh, for sure. And, uh, it's definitely going to be a party in, uh, in the Queen City if they can come home victorious. Well, we'll see about that. You know, I'm sure the folks at Fort Valley will have something to say about that, but the, the, the two teams, are very similar in a lot of ways, and that's by that's by design. It's not happenstance because Flowers, before he went to Smith, he was Fort Valley State's head coach, and there are still players on that team that he recruited and coached at Fort Valley as well as the coaching staff. So they know each other very well. There is no... There won't be any surprises there because they know they have that one person in common in, in Maurice Flowers. And the, the Golden Bulls have built a lot of their success of defense and special teams. Uh, when you're playing a third-string quarterback, you obviously have to do things a little bit differently because you've got that third stringer in there. But they have, throughout the season, been one of the CIAA's best defenses in terms of points allowed, yards allowed, that kind of thing. And so they've played close to the vest to make sure that they give themselves an opportunity to win. And you can really see where they've been able to to make that work. And if they can do some things to get ready going down the road, because, you know, bowl game also allows you those extra practices. So they've got the jump on spring ball already. And if you can get that stud quarterback in place, for 2024, with this young group and that defense, there should be some really good things to expect out of them next year as well. Yeah, Herb, I want to ask you a question because um, do you think a team goes into a bowl game more motivated coming off a loss or a win? Because looking at both teams, Johnson C. Smith's coming off a win, and, um, you know, the, hold on one second. I'm sorry. My internet just went down. Anyway, um, John C. Smith's coming off a win. Do you think that a team coming off a win is more likely to have success in bowls, or um, do you think they kind of maybe get a little too excited and it could cause their downfall? I think that bowl season is totally different than the regular season. And you can it, – it's a way to remake yourself. It's a one-game season when it gets right down to it. And if you're coming off a loss, you have a chance to make things right and leave it on a positive note. If you are coming off a win and 
is especially if you're a, a program like Smith that isn't accustomed to a lot of winning on a consistent basis, you know, it's a chance to put the cherry on top. But you have to put all that other stuff aside because well, you're three weeks to a month away from your last game. And so I, I look at it as it's the third part of a football campaign. There's the preseason stuff. There's the regular season. And then if you're lucky enough to get to a bowl or the postseason in terms of the playoffs, then it, it becomes its own thing. And you want to be able to write a different chapter in that third chapter. So I, I don't think the two have that much linkage. I think it's a chance to just write a brand new chapter. I got you. Yeah, I like, I like that perspective. And um, forgive my Google Chrome from crashing, but uh, I was trying to see who Fort Valley State lost against in their final game, but it was uh, Albany State. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think along the same kind of wavelength there, I mean, it's, it's just different. But, I mean, I think any time a team's coming off a loss, it adds a little bit of motivation. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, you've already mentioned that the two teams are very similar and just how they're structured. And so uh, next Wednesday should be a good one. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so let's switch gears and jump on some hoops while we're at it, okay? Uh, you're heading to Durham and uh, watching, covering the Charlotte 49ers as they make a trip to Cameron Indoor Stadium to uh, take on the Duke team that is looking for answers right about now. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about, about that and the uh, what you're expecting and the experience of heading off to Cameron and the crazies and whether anybody from Charlotte will be able to get up in there. Yeah, well, they, they, they can get up in there if, uh, if they pay the $180 whatever ticket price because... There ain't nothing cheap about Duke. Not going to the school, not doing anything there, athletic wise. But um, I think it'll be an interesting, interesting game in the fact that you know, you, you said it. Duke searching for answers. Um, you know, coming off two straight losses to Arkansas and then to Georgia Tech, both on the road. Um, yeah, everybody says it's pl- it's a little different playing inside Cameron Indoor, but I mean Charlotte, they're a team that is really kind of rounding into form. I mean, I know if you talk to head coach Aaron Fern, he's like, every game he'll tell you, there's there's this we can work on, there's this we can work on, but they're they're finding an identity. I mean, and that's one thing Duke's really struggling to find right now. They don't know who to play through each possession down the court. Um, and another you know, key thing is Tyrese Proctor, their starting point guard, is likely going to be out, suffered a uh, ankle sprain against uh, Georgia Tech this past week. So, don't don't sleep on the Niners in this one. Um, I know the point spread is going to be massively in favor of Duke, but um, for, you know, for those few betters out there, if uh, I would, I'd lean the 49ers to uh, to cover the point spread because I think it'll be too large for Duke to cover. Really? So you are convinced that Charlotte is at least within hailing distance of Duke at Camp? Right now, absolutely. Right now, absolutely. Really. So what gives you so much confidence? Is it the way that the 49ers are playing, or is it because Duke is not quite Duke? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, I, I've, I've told a bunch of people that, you know, ask me about this game, and they're like, you know, do you think Charlotte's got a chance? Like, well, absolutely. I mean, if Duke goes out there and they can't hit free throws shooting 
being an awful 60 something percent like they have lately or you know missing layups at right you missing what they call bunnies right at the rim and then, yeah charlotte could uh charlotte could get one of their if not the biggest win in their program's history um come saturday and the one thing that i'm really interested about uh, the 49ers this year is they're playing with an interim coach it's an audition for Aaron Fern in many respects. Uh, how does that play in to what this season is going to look like for them? Um, I think the biggest thing that people have to remember is whenever Ron Sanchez left, there, there was about to be a mass exodus of players. And a lot of people rallied behind Aaron Fern and wanted Aaron Fern to be named interim coach. And so I just think they're, they're playing with an added sense of motivation. Like, hey, you know, we really like this guy. We have for a while now since he's been there. I mean, they're, they're playing well. Um, I just think that a lot of the transfers are starting to get their footing. Um, Deshaun Jackson coming off a career high in points um, against Stetson this past Tuesday. So... I just think there's there's a sense of unity around the team right now and something they haven't had in, honestly, a while, at least since I've been covering the team. Yeah, and people forget they did win the CBI last year. Now, granted, it's not, you know, one of those big, well, it's not the NCAA tournament, obviously. Um, it's not the NIT, you know, which used to be a big deal 50, 60 years ago. Uh, but anytime you walk off, a winner in a tournament in the postseason, then that should give you some momentum. Is there any kind of carryover? Even though they did lose players in the in the portal, but is there any kind of carryover that has helped them to get to this point? Well, I'm sure there is a, a little bit. I'm not sure. Yeah, that, that poses a good question. I'm not sure if there's because we mentioned with um, you know Jonathan C. Smith how you know different seasons as you move through, but I just I think last year's team was just comprised so differently. Um, you, they just the system was just ran differently. Everything was you know defensive oriented. Not to say that Coach Fern doesn't have a doesn't run a tight ship on defense, but the offense plays a lot more freely. Um, you see a lot more shots going up with you know 21 to. 18 seconds on the shot clock whereas last year if it was anything short of five seconds <laughs> they were probably going to be doing some push-ups so i just think it, it's just to, it's a total different dynamic this year and it, it's been kind of nice to see um a lot of the losses have been real close um they had ucf on the brink of winning that game down in florida so uh 49ers they're they're looking a lot better than a lot of people thought they would under the interim coach and i think that's actually a very good point and it's a good thing for the 49ers because let's face it you know the basketball program has kind of been it's been under the radar uh and again you know not to necessarily draw parallels with the panthers but a lot of restlessness in the program in terms of players leaving coaching changes uh underperformance that kind of thing uh so I think that the basketball program at Charlotte, if it can get some consistency and can build on some things, you know, not to say they're going to be world beaters anytime soon, but at least you start with getting above 500 on a regular basis and playing an exciting brand of basketball. You know, if you're talking about 
you know, going deep into that shot clock and putting up a set shot, you know, remind you of Grandpa Bob Cousy, then, you know, that's not very exciting. You're not going to draw very many people uh, to your program. But if you're playing an exciting brand of basketball and can beat some folks, you know, which a win over Duke would help put you on the map there and probably earn Aaron for not only a job but a raise, then uh, then that could be something that, uh, that that people can gravitate towards and rally around, which is something that I think that that campus really needs, um, especially in, in light of the football program's recent struggles. You know, you, you want to be a, you want to be associated with a winner somewhere, somehow, and you know, yeah. the, the Charlotte folks are no different than anybody else. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, they, they want to have a winner in one of the major market sports. And that, that's one thing that I've noticed is, I mean, Charlotte's had a lot of success in baseball recently and soccer recently, uh, softball. Um, but it's, they're just, there's been some kind of uh, mental block getting the success to happen on the football field and on the basketball court. Um, now, granted, the women's basketball team is not too far removed from an NCAA tournament appearance themselves, but it's it's those those high dollar major market money grab sports like football and men's basketball where they're not having that success and i think that's what ultimately pushes pushes the 49ers down in the in the global you know collegiate athletic world um or national rather excuse me and um, i think when that changes and when you can like you mentioned build the you know success over a few years i think that's when you're going to start seeing you know, Charlotte start you know moving up in the collegiate ranks again, um, even pro- possibly surpassing the old days of Bobby Lutz and things of that nature. Yeah, <laughs> or Jeff Mullins, and Lee yeah, Rose, and the Lee Rose days. That's still the high water market. We're talking about almost uh, you know we're talking about 1977. So that's that's a long yeah. time ago. Uh, and, and yeah, and when you get right down to it, in, in college sports, just like high school sports, and even in the professional ranks, you know, there's there's what I call the barbershop sports, and that's men's basketball and football. You go to any barbershop in America; those are the two things that folks are going to be talking about. You know, you might be able to squeeze in some golf, or you know, depending on the neighborhood, you might be able to work in some soccer, but for the most part, men's basketball and football. And if you're not very good at those, chances are people aren't going to talk to you, talk about you in a very good way. You know, so you you want to be relevant and be the topic of, of conversation and curiosity where people will say, well, you know, maybe that's worth going to check out. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see yeah. where that works out. You know, but also uh, on, on the college end of things, you know, one of the things that, just comes to mind is uh, the recent adjustments with uh, with the transfer portal and NIL and the NCAA's uh, proposal to create another subdivision in FBS. Uh, have you given that much thought in terms of you know what uh, the NCAA is proposing, where schools would pay? Students at a minimum thirty thousand uh, dollars to uh, you know, to participate and, and get paid playing sports. Um, I haven't really given it much thought that you asked me, but when when you think about just the NIL as a whole, and I mean, 
colleges, you know, having to give kids money to play sports, I just, I think it's, you're getting away from what college sports, what, what used to make it so great, and it was playing for the love of the game. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that kids shouldn't be able to profit off their name, image, and likeness, because there have been a lot of athletes that have made schools a lot of money, and, you know, going back to the early 2000s, I mean, I just think of, you know, Reggie Bush and at USC, you know, he probably made that school millions and millions of dollars, and I don't know how much he saw of that. Um, but I just, I think right now we're at a time where it's becoming almost too much of a job for kids, and they're, it's applying some sense of pressure to perform because it's it's their job in college, and they're not able to actually play the game anymore because they love it. Yeah, and whatever happened to actually earning a degree? <laughs> you know, when was when did it fall off the total? <laughs> you know, from from top of the top of the total way back when to oh yeah, you can do that too, can't you? <laughs> but you know, that's it, it's a different time, and TV money is driving the whole thing. I mean, if you you know, if you look at that, that TV partnership is. A number one. That's where the money's coming from. That's where the loyalty is coming from because it's it's about that dollar now. And the players, the athletes themselves, they want their cut. Uh, the universities are benefiting. Why shouldn't they? Yeah. yeah. Good point. Yeah. So I just you know I think I think NIL has in some ways improved the college landscape and in some ways really hurt it. So. I think it's just a double-edged sword yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, well, that's a to-be-continued kind of conversation. But that'll do it for this edition of Sports Charlotte. We're, we're coming back. We're trying to build in some consistency and do this uh, on a more consistent basis, uh, hopefully uh, where we can talk about these topics and others as time goes on. And we appreciate you watching and listening to us and be sure to catch us on soundcloud queen city podcast network our partners there as well as apple Podcasts. and you can also catch us on our website the charlottepost.com and follow us uh, on social media the usual suspects will do just fine and for everybody at the office i'm her that's cameron and Thanks for joining us. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.